What is up, 12-Pack Radio listeners? Welcome back. It is week three, question mark, three slash four. I'm excited about it. We got a new, we got a new, uh, we got a new intro. What did you think, Rob? I like it. I'm in favor of it. I love WWE. It's the, it's the best thing in the world. WWE <laughs> is like my guilty pleasure. Um, and, uh, and football season is in full swing. And thank you for joining us. Thanks for telling your friends. We've had a, a spike in listenership. Uh, we appreciate that. We want to keep this podcast going. One thing to mention is, um, I, you know, I think most people listen to us know that we do Wildcat Radio and we have like a really interactive conversation with our listeners, like at all times there. And, uh, and they follow us on Twitter. Do that. Like follow us on Twitter, 12 pack radio, one, two, PAC radio on Twitter. Um, we, we love talking. We love going back and forth, join the contests, like get involved because we love the PAC 12. Like I, I love college football. This only happens for like 16 weeks. So man, grab it and don't let go, uh, and, and really take advantage of the time we have. So we want to hear from you. If you have questions, if you want us to cover anything, please let us know. We will do that. With that said, uh, Oh, yeah, and, and visit our website, wildcatradioaz.com. Rob's uh, beta rank numbers are on there. We got uh, pod, podcasts and updates and all that stuff. Check it out. Rob, a lot of FCS schools, man, <laughs> but but still some good games. Hey, what were your basic? Let's go general, and then we'll get into these games. I mean, it's it's like the uh, Olive Garden weekend at Pac-12, right? Like, <laughs> lot, lot, lots of carbs, extra breadsticks, you know, like. You don't use everybody skips the salad. Like, come on. Yeah. Or would you like cheese uh, on your salad? That's like the Fresno State UCLA game. Yeah, yeah, there's some cheese on there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's the one person that they will like it's a salad. Um, no, it was uh, it was fun. It was a fun week, I guess. I mean, I guess like there's uh, the Pac-12 South looked really bad, um, oh, and even teams that won like Colorado had a little shine taken off their season with Troy going into Nebraska and uh, stealing a win. Um, so it's a, uh, it was just really tough week. I mean, tough week. I mean, even like Arizona beat their FCS opponent I and mean, we didn't, no one lost to an FCS opponent. So shouts to that, but <laughs> yeah, um, especially Washington so, state. Good job. <laughs> Finally. All right. Yeah. Flawless season. Right? But several teams, uh, Stanford, Arizona, um, Cal, uh, Colorado, I mean, really did not run away from their FCS opponents the way you would have expected. We have to start with the call, the San Diego State ASU call, like because oh. it was th- that I my my understanding. I don't know, I know the rules, but I don't know like the rules. You know, where you oh, in section seven, page fifteen, um, it, it sounds like they made the right decision in, in the sense of. Uh, not the morally right decision, but the technically right decision <laughs> of, you know, yeah, he targeted him, but he did lose the ball. My question was, I didn't think that you were able, I thought, I thought they were looking at the targeting call. And I thought if you're looking at one thing, you can't look at another thing, but I guess, I guess you can. No, it's all, it's all there for grabs. Like if, if they see that the ball actually, you know, hit the ground and then came loose, like that's, that's legal. That's part of the review. The one thing to keep in mind, though, and this gives me solace because I want to see ASU lose. Um, actually, yeah, I, I actually like I, Herm Edwards is the best man. And I actually liked his demeanor on the sideline where if this was Rich Rodriguez um, or I'm just trying to like, you know, think of the hothead coaches in the Pac-12 uh, or previous ones. Oh, I mean, Rich, Rich Rodriguez might have turned like the deepest shade of purple 
<laughs> and uh, and Herm just walks in because basically, so uh, is that like technically right? And he's like, yep. He's like, all right. <laughs> he just walks away. And I say, okay, all right, on yeah. to the next one. I actually liked that. I thought that was fine. Um, with that said, I didn't think the fumble before before the the targeting whatever. I didn't think that was a fumble, and I thought that they got a bad call there and so it all evened out and karma and there's always balance in the yin and the yang but uh i don't know what did you think about the fumble beforehand uh, i mean they reviewed that too i'm sure so um i i think it may have i mean it was on the line but you know Ty goes to the Power Five team. <laughs> yeah, right. Good call. Um, <laughs> it just sucks, though. I mean, like that was a. It was a hell of a of a strip. I mean, they they needed the play. The, the one thing is, yeah. young man, if you get if you have a first down and like and they have zero timeouts left, it, like go to the ground, young man, and he's right. fighting like, for like an extra three yards. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't need it. Like you're just, the, the clock is your friend, not the yards. Oh my gosh. It was so stupid. But, um, but props to ASU for stripping him. That was a great play. And then Manny Wilkins. I mean, it was crazy how <laughs> on two plays, like their wide receivers were able to get under, uh, under that secondary or whatever. And, and, uh, and just some good throws by Manny Wilkins. That's a heartbreaker. I was really bummed about that just for the pack 12 because that was i mean they stepped up when they needed to step up and it was pretty exciting with that said like before the you know before that happened man asu's offense looked pretty crappy for about you know, about 15 to 10 to 15 minutes when they really needed it to uh but yeah. then they they pushed through at the end so i thought that was interesting um you know we'll probably talk more about the utah washington game because that was kind of the game of the week but uh <laughs> what's going on it was, it, it was it was the game of the week it was it was not however the game that you were happy with yourself for having watched the second half of after it was over utah could not move the freaking football man seven points at home you can't do that you know one of the things that we talked about when we were interviewing uh alex from the dog pod and the utah man cup podcast is that you know uh cameron was talking about they just have not been able to get it done at home and and that streak continues i mean that was a big moment for this utah program and you hear all the the talk before the season uh whittingham's talking to michael yam saying this is we're finally we've made it we finally look like a pac-12 team and and that might not be the case their defense certainly does but the offense still has problems um we were going back and forth on twitter like they didn't even make him i mean you have to make chris peterson pay the jake browning tax when jake browning does stupid things and (laughs) they they didn't even put up points after browning's heisman heisman worthy moment oh my gosh what a what a mess um you know, Oregon State, I thought, looked okay uh, on the road. It's funny that we're talking about Nevada, Oregon State, but if you're an <laughs> Oregon State fan, right, like that, I would take that if I were them. You know, they lost, but, you know, you go down deep in the beginning, you're able to come back and almost take that take that game back. Um, what, what went on in Westwood, man? You had UCLA, Fresno you State. Never bet against Jeff Tedford's revenge tour against everyone in the Pac-12, like, <sighs> and Jeff Tedford's audition for the next Pac-12 opening. <laughs> And then you got Texas USC, which we'll definitely get into. But just the fact that USC cannot get anything going on the ground is is insane to me. Um, uh, look, Texas is not a good team, uh, but they were at home. But fourteen points. I mean, look, you got a freshman quarterback. <laughs> you talk about the Jake Browning tax. We might have to have a JT Daniels tax because uh, you start a freshman quarterback, and that's what you get right there. Is uh, if you points. if you can't run the ball, you either have to put up explosive plays in the passing game 
and or have a decent completion percentage because if you're throwing too many incompletions you're just killing drives like and daniels i mean he had some bombs but none of them seem to make it into the end zone it's crazy it's it, you know that's kind of it anytime arizona well we'll go into all these other fcs games but um you know it just shows you even when you have a bad week in the and certainly the pac-12 south had a bad week but i just more like as a fan it's kind of cool that even though we were like mocking all of these teams not playing well it is still really fun to watch college football again and to see these moments and to see terrible calls and um and I, I, <laughs> it's just like ah oh, yeah i forgot about that um, i don't know no this has been uh it's been a, it looks like it could be a really the the south could be a bloodbath like i mean uh, legitimately uh it could be like a two a two or three way tie atop the south with like three losses <laughs> yeah it's gonna be uh it could be really interesting and, and we will definitely keep track again every monday we're releasing them every monday so we'll, we'll be here the whole season and we have contests and sleazy bets coming up right now hey um can i get some pac-12 gambling advice up in here is william shatner Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby. Just bust a move. Okay. All right, we are back. It's a sleazy bets segment, the best segment in the world, where we go through every single Pac-12 game, make our picks against the spread, go through what happened the previous week, and talk a little bit about uh, the teams in general. And Rob, let's uh, let's put the Arizona. Uh, the Arizona Oregon state game last, uh, for our friends at 12 pack radio that are listening that way, uh, or wildcat radio that are listening. So they won't have Arizona back to back to back. Um, let's start oh. with, um, uh, Oh man, it's a good slate by the way, right? But only four games, but they're all quality. What do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this, but let's, let's try just starting out chronologically. I like, I like this, uh, this USC Washington state game has a, a flavor of the unknown. Oh, absolutely. 7 30 PM Eastern time on Friday. You know, short, short rest for, for both teams. Uh, yeah. Washington State, the Dirty Pirates go into the Coliseum to take on the Trojans. Uh, let, let's talk about USC here uh, this past week. Texas 37, <laughs> USC 14. Again, we'll break down this game. But I think just to provide some context, SC looked good at the beginning of this game, right? Yeah, they looked like they were going to do things that they basically were not did, did not do well against Stanford. They looked like they could run the ball. Um, you know, they weren't asking Daniels to make crazy throws. He mostly made short throws uh, with high completion on that first drive. I mean, USC looked like they uh, meant business and that they you know spent the week productively at practice. They were up, I think it was fourteen to three, and like you mentioned, yeah. like Stephen Carr got a touchdown. I'm like, all right, all right, like we're 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 rolling. So you know, I want the Pac-12 to win. Uh, then Texas just figured it out. They scored thirty. 34 unanswered points and just shut them down, man. It was crazy. Uh, a couple couple things on here. Uh, Daniels, I mean, he looked like a true freshman, obviously. Um, he went 30 for 48, uh, 322 yards. He threw an interception, had two fumbles. Uh, and that interception, by the way, was a bad one. Uh, he yeah. has, uh, we should have mentioned this on the podcast in previous weeks because it's been the same case every, every game, but he has St. Brown tunnel vision, man. Like he just locks in on his roommate and high school buddy and just does not look anywhere else. Are you seeing that? Or is that just me? Because I have him on a fantasy team. No, no. Uh, I mean, it's dead on. I mean, he, he, he targets him too often. I mean, not, it, not that St. Brown isn't a phenomenal talent and does, is often open, but, um, 
USC has some really great wide receivers that I just I can't believe are just getting blanket coverage all the time. Yeah, and five yards, negative five yards rushing on the game. USC, <laughs> the freaking Trojans, five, like, not even five yards, negative five yards. How does that happen? I mean, it's they've had some injuries. Um, you know, and Voorhees, you know, went out of this game, and he's questionable, I believe, with an MCL strain. Um, but they basically returned most of their line off of last year, and their line was not great at pass blocking last year, but they could run block, and they really just blew it in this game. I mean, and they haven't been able to – they didn't run the ball well against Stanford either. Um, so USC has some serious issues if if you're going to be relying on JT Daniels to come out and win you ball games. Yeah, and, and I mean, this could be a rough year. Uh, shout out to Colorado. <laughs> if you have – if you have them to win the Pac-12 South at like a million to one, you're sitting pretty well right now. Uh, <laughs> of course, they have to play conference play, but still. Uh, the defense, a couple things to highlight. Porter Gustin had a good game. Seven tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss, a pass deflection, and a targeting call. Got to put those in there, especially with Utah. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Um, <laughs> geez. Uh, Christian Rector had a, a decent game. I thought Marvell Tell had some plays. Um, but they only had five tackles for a loss against uh, Texas. And overall, uh, they just could not stop them. And it's not like this Texas offense is good. Um, uh, man, I just, I, I'm worried if I'm a USC fan. Our friend Alicia Derartola, who is excellent um, and covers uh, USC, she, I wouldn't say she's been a proponent of Helton. She's just kind of like a let's, let's see, right? We got waxed yeah. by Ohio State. Um, I think she was a realist and, she's she's calling for like all right this is this is very very bad so um i I don't know anything else on on usc texas that was the game i spent i watched about three quarters of that game and and (laughs) it was was quite uh, quite interesting well i would say i mean that a a lot of fans are going to take away from that game that texas put up you know 37 points on them but not all those points are on the defense you know, only about 27 of those points were really on the defense, which honestly, if you can go into Austin and hold Texas under 30, you, you, you feel like you might have a shot to win the game. I mean, USC's defense is, is still very, very good. Um, I thought you're right. Calling out tell, I thought tell had some really great plays and some great reads in that game. And that dude is fast for how big he is. Um, holy moly. He, he had some really, really great rundowns and tackles in the game. Um, but the the and Erlinger is I mean playing against a quarterback like Erlinger um, he's really mobile enough to 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 cause problems I mean everyone has problems with you know mobile quarterbacks but if you have wide receivers like Texas does like it causes extra problems as well um, but yeah don't don't sell this USC defense short yet they're not USC isn't dead if you have a defense that rates out and they're rated out number seven in the model still after the game like. They're they're not dead yet. You you they've got a little cushion to work with. Yeah, and special teams matters. A so blocked field goal oh, for a touchdown. Special teams so bad. <laughs> they roughed oh, a kicker God. in the end zone. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh god. And they have a two puncher system. How did we not talk about this last week? Like, what the hell is that? Yeah, no. USC has USC. I mean, re- I mean, really. If you if you have two punters, you don't have any punters, right? It's the same as quarterbacks. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> so, I I just. I mean, there were some questionable calls uh, in the game. I mean, they should have had a safety that they didn't get, um, you know. And I don't, but I don't know if you can look at it as a coulda or shoulda. Like 
Texas did. I mean, USC did not deserve to win the game with the offense they showed up with. Absolutely. And all right, moving on uh, to the Wazoo game. So they won 59, uh, Eastern Washington 24. Eastern Washington hung around a little longer than uh, necessary. And um, if this was a few years back, <laughs> they probably would have won, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but they threw in three interceptions and you can't, you can't do that and, and beat a Washington no. state team that, uh, it's fine. Uh, I, I think their defense is quite good and I wasn't anticipating that. What do you think? Oh, this Washington state team has been climbing. I mean, they're the PAC 12 team that versus the preseason model projections has improved the most, um, with, even with the limited amount that we're allowing in season data to, to count in right now. So they come in ranked at number 36. Oh, snap. Um, so don't sleep on them. This game right now with USC, which at the beginning of the season, USC uh, had something like a 90% win probability. USC is down to just a 56% win probability in this game. So it's almost just home field at this point between the two teams because USC um, comes in ranked. Sorry, I just flipped over from it. Uh, number 31. So Washington State. I'm very encouraged about this team. The defense seems to be holding steady under Tracy Clays. Um, there hasn't been a significant fall off. Um, the offense, they've, they've, they've played one decent. I mean, they, they don't have, they haven't played like a murderer's row of schedule and Washington or Wyoming does not have a great offense, but Wyoming has a legit defense. Um, they're not as good as some other model projection put them at, but Wyoming will finish probably in the top 50 in defense in the country. And Washington State had a good game against them. Um, Gardner Minshew looks like he has figured it out. Yep. Um, he's got a good completion percentage there. And if there any, if they, if that defense can sort of hold, I mean, their special teams was bad last year too, so they need improvement there. Um, but I, this 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 game looks tough. I mean, I. I to, to pick because uh, Washington State really feels like they're almost surging and kind of really are below people's radar right now. Um, and USC is on people's radar and not going the right direction. I've been surprised by the, uh, and I probably shouldn't have been because uh, Alicia talked about this, the, the corners aren't great at USC. Um, yeah. uh, Amon, uh, Oh, shoot, the guy's name escapes me right now. People are gonna, the SC fans are gonna like throw stuff at the. Um, uh, anyway, one of one of them is is good, but um, you can throw on this team and and you can run on this team. <laughs> I don't think you can run as well as you can throw on on SC. But uh, I I look Washington State is a four and a half point dog in this game. I think they win. I think this this is one of those games that that Mike Leach comes in. He's going to be well prepared. He won't be well prepared for anything else. They'll probably drop the next game to like Oregon State or something. But um, I I really like the way that they're starting to move this ball. I think the defense is solid enough where uh, you don't have a great rushing attack right now from USC. And uh, and if that were the case, I think I would certainly pick USC. But the fact that these these running backs aren't getting the the historical numbers that they would have for a USC rushing attack. And the fact that you have a true freshman uh, against a pretty good defensive coordinator. I, I do not trust this offense at all, man. And I, I just think that, that uh, Washington state's going to go in and, and take care of business. What do you think? Yeah, this USCT, this, this offense is ranked 92nd in effective rush right now in the model. That's terrible. I mean, for the talent that USC has available, that's unbelievable. Um, I, they're coming in on a short week. I mean, USC could really use a bye week, to be honest. Um, 
four and a half points just feels like too much. I mean, I'm going to go with the model. The model has USC as basically a one point favorite in this game. Um, I'll take Washington State. Dang, man, that's crazy. Like, especially the beginning of this year when I was just dumping all over Washington State because they just did not on paper look like they were going to get get it together. They lost so much stuff on defense. And uh, here we are. So right on. Okay, cool. Um, Saturday, 1 p.m., the Pac-12 Network, Arizona at Oregon State. Uh, if you were listening to Wildcat Radio, obviously we talked a decent amount about what happened last week. But uh, moving forward to this week, just some players to look out for. It was interesting to see Oregon State uh, do fairly well against Nevada. Granted, like it's Nevada, all right, I understand that. But uh, they were on the road. This is the first time with the coach. Uh, they went down 23-0 uh, about 20 minutes into the game and rallied back and almost won. And they did a really good job of making adjustments and holding Nevada uh, to basically a very minimal amount of points in the second half. Um, a couple items to keep in mind. Uh, I don't think Connor Blunt is all that great. Um, and he didn't do well. They had to bring in Jake Luton, who has a great story again, broke his back, all that, all that stuff, uh, comes back, uh, was a spark for this offense and then hurt his ankle. And they had put a blunt back in, um, Luton was 62%, one touchdown, one interception. He's just way more fun to watch. I, I just, I love watching him play. Um, Jamar Jefferson, Artavius Pierce can run the ball and they have some wide receivers, but Rob, this defense, holy Moses, right? <laughs> Ranked 109 in the model currently. Oh, that's terrible. And there's like what, 130? Uh, yes. And they are 119th in effective rush. So you can run the ball on this. I mean, in the model, <laughs> the, the model takes into account the quality of the opponent. So don't give me like, oh, you know, like you have to adjust it for Ohio State. Like this is adjusted for Ohio State. <laughs> the, the one thing to keep in mind, because I think a lot of people are going to say, well, Khalil Tate against a bad offense should be fine. If you're a walkout radio knows this, but if you're 12 pack radio and you're listening to this, like Tate isn't running the ball well at all. And when you cut that away from him against good defenses, for the most part, he tries to force it and he can be a great thrower, but he's not always a great thrower. He's on the road. I think Corvallis is going to be kind of pumped up for this game. Like this team has shown some pulses like of life. And I think the community really does like Oregon State football down in Corvallis. Not a big city. It's college town, all that stuff. Um, I mean, if they can shut down the Arizona rushing attack, which should be fairly easy, to be honest, um, I think that puts them in a really good position to win this game. And I, what are what are some of the like what are the, some of the contrarian arguments too? Because I really want to take uh, Oregon State. They're a seven point underdog, by the way, at home against this Arizona team, which I think is ridiculous. But what are some contrarian ar- arguments if you wanted to take Arizona? Well, the contrarian argument is going to be that yes, Tate didn't run very much against an FCS team, but Tate's going to run the ball. Uh, they're going to have to run him, you know, twenty times in this game. Um, and Oregon State's defense, as we talked about, is, is is terrible. I mean, Arizona should be able to show up and run the ball on this this defense. I mean, Nevada certainly was able to show up and run the ball on this defense. So, I'm not. Th- th- this game has all the feel of a shootout, and whoever makes the dumb interceptions loses. Uh, is <laughs> and if it's Luton, there's going to be all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, but. I mean, Blount played, he did not play well against Nevada. He did play well, you know, in the horseshoe against Ohio State, uh, mostly played within what the offense was asking him to do. Um, I think Oregon State's play calling uh, has been terrific and uh, for the most part. And I think that the offense really does look a lot better than they were last year. They're currently grayed out at 60 in the model, um, but they're 
they're trending up in the actual only just in, in pure in-season data. Uh, they look better than that. If you watch this game, and you shouldn't, but if you do, <laughs> you... Uh, <laughs> this you game can... is all the fun. Like, this is like... Bad. This is like junk food. Like this game could be really fun. Like you should watch. You should watch it. If you like football, you should watch this game. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, and if you're just kind of like an innocent bystander watching, or if you're an Oregon State fan, you are. You will immediately go like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe Arizona can't cover anybody uh, in the passing attack." Like it, it is amazing how easily teams have been able to throw on this Arizona secondary and an experienced secondary. Um, so just know that that will happen. And just because of that, I, I think Oregon state's going to win. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of money on the money line here. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean I, I, I'll take, I think Arizona's the line is too much. I mean, the line in Vegas hold is on, hold, hold on. Here we go. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think the line is a little high. Um, the line is actually in, uh, relatively, I mean, not to use the word line again, but it's about what the model would have. Uh, it is Arizona is about a 76% win probability for this game. But Arizona came into the season and the preseason model much more highly rated than the Beavers. The Beavers have been playing a little better. Arizona's been playing a lot worse than the model uh, thought they would. Um, this is probably closer to like anywhere between like a 55, 60% win probability for Arizona. Um, that's not seven points. So I'll, I'll take the Beavers. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I think I could see Arizona winning. I, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. I've seen the, like I've seen this I team. Just, if, uh, but if, if Marcel, I mean, like, I'm sorry, but like, I mean, Arizona doesn't have a bye week for a long, long time, but. Like if Arizona goes up there and gives up another like 40, 50 points to Oregon State, like, well, that could be I don't know. Like if you're someone, I mean, you're already feeling the heat. You're hearing all this stuff. I mean, it's amazing. People are like screaming at him on Twitter. I can't imagine what the talk radio is saying, all that stuff. Uh, like the, the easiest thing you can do. This wasn't your hire. Like, yeah. You have, True. No, you have no ties to this guy. Like, all right, you can't get it done. I'm moving on, man. I got to. So it'll be well, everybody's mad. Everybody's mad about Mazzoni. Um, but I mean, Arizona's offensive line is not very good. And that's not Noel Mazzoni's fault. Not that Mazzoni hasn't made some mistakes, but there's a lot of blame to go around on offense. On defense, it's a little more central. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I do you trust Mazzoni or Yates more? Mazzoni. Yeah. He's got a track record. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, let's move on. Let's move on here. Saturday, 5 p.m. ABC, the game of the week. If you are listening to 12-Pack Radio right now, stick around. We're really excited. We have a special guest that broke down this game because it's going to be an awesome, fun matchup. I don't know if it's going to be a close game, but it'll be a fun matchup uh, on ABC. It is game day. Coming to your city. Um, And this is a big game for Oregon, Rob. Like We don't know anything about this team really <laughs> like at all at all so i don't know like what are you what are your general impressions here i mean this this should be interesting because oregon's played really bad competition and mostly played them not as well as you would expect if they were a great team <laughs> and i was high on i mean i think we all were high on oregon coming into this year um i'm a little less so particularly given their performance against san jose state last week i mean bowling green turned out to be not that great and they they Maryland 
played, you know, Maryland didn't turn out to be great either. And they didn't, you know, they did about the same. It was against Bowling Green as Oregon did. Um, but Stanford comes in at, a, at about a, a 67% win probability for this game. Um, you know, even with it being on the road, um, this, the Cardinals defense looks improved um, off of last year. And that looks to be holding um, the offense has had some, some shakes, I guess you could say. And uh, I think they really have to reestablish the run more consistently, but uh, you definitely know more about Stanford given who they've played already than you feel like, you know, about this Oregon team. And we had a really good interview. And, and by the way, shout out to our friends at the quack 12 podcast. Like they're really fun and, uh, and are really big fans of Oregon and uh, that, that podcast. If you're an Oregon fan, you should definitely tune in. Uh, it is quite good. Uh, we're going to have them on for the Arizona Oregon game. So we have a different guest on for this game and I don't want to step on that interview because we covered a lot of ground. So just oh, wanna, yeah, yeah, I want to kind of just talk some generality the first thing is so stanford beat uc davis 30 to 10 uh, bryce love didn't play they took this game off like I, i'm taking zero i'm taking nothing away from that costello game. was bad i mean he made some bad decisions in that game i watched some of that i mean i i warn people not to watch fcs football but he was doing trick throws man he was just trying to uh, play horse or something and <laughs> <laughs> into double or triple coverage it was hey hey john watch this <laughs> yeah. uh you know oregon like you mentioned didn't beat San Jose State as convincingly as I would have liked. Justin Herbert was 16 for 34, 300 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, all the rushers, man. Like there are eight rushers on this Oregon team. Uh, none of them have stood out a ton. So it'll be interesting to see if they can run into that teeth of a revitalized uh, front seven of Stanford. Um, the line here is uh uh, Stanford is a one-point underdog on the road against Oregon. Uh, just based on our conversation that you should listen to, I'm going to take Stanford. I, I do think that they take care of business. They have those tall, wide receivers. I don't trust Oregon's secondary further than I can throw them right now. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, the Bowling Green threw the ball pretty well against them. San Jose State threw the ball reasonably well against them. I'll take Stanford in this game. All right, the last game of the night. This is crazy, man. Saturday, 7.30 ESPN, Arizona State at Washington. It's going to be a fun game. Uh, Arizona State definitely has some signs of life. And Washington came off just a convincing win. We talked about it. But convincing win at Utah. I really liked how they played on defense. Uh, not so much on offense. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, let's let's talk about the ASU San Diego State game first. ASU twenty one, San Diego State twenty eight. Um, we already talked about the crazy play. Let's just get into the X's and O's, and that is you can run on this team. You can run on this team a lot, and and I think this is why Arizona State fans were a little bit hesitant on uh, on what was going on there. Uh, San Diego State three hundred eleven yards, five point four yards per carry, and two touchdowns in this game. I just uh, look. It's a good story so far with Arizona State, but I worry about what's coming up against Washington. Uh, Manny Wilkins, though, uh, with that said, had a good game, 31 for 46, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. He had some really good plays to extend uh, these drives moving forward. He really did show leadership. I, uh, there was somebody that listened to this podcast that got on us for saying that Manny Wilkins um, was not even in the same league as Khalil Tate in the sense that Manny Wilkins was significantly better. Now, granted, this was before... <laughs> the last couple of games happened uh, where Khalil Tate still was averaging 10 yards per, uh, per carry and was able to throw the ball. Uh, with that said, Manny Wilkins is on another level right now and, and it is really yeah. fun to watch him play. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, no. Manny Wilkins had a terrific game and they did not run the ball at all. It was all Manny Wilkins and uh, Kyle Williams and the kill Harry in this game. That yeah, was it. You know, you know who isn't on another plane? Eno Benjamin. Holy goodness. Uh, thir- <sighs> 13 carries, 21 yards, 1.6 yards a carry. Um, with that said, I'm going to toot my horn a little bit. I really thought that this uh, the San Diego State defense was going to be able to bottle up this run game. And they they did on that front. They didn't bottle up Manny Wilkins, but they did uh, keep that run game uh, locked down. He did get uh, Benjamin did get 44 yards reception uh, re- receiving yards. So that, that was nice. Uh, Frank Darby had himself a hell of a game. Five receptions, 127 yards should have been 170, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and man, San Diego State laid out two wide receivers. Uh, one of them was targeting. The other one was just, just a nasty, nasty hit. Um, uh, Akil Harry, nine, nine receptions, 86 yards and a touchdown. Um, ASU's defense, only one sack against San Diego State. Something to keep an eye on. Um, I don't know. I, I watched a decent amount of this game, probably about uh, like a half of, of the game. More than that because it dragged out so long. <laughs> but uh, I uh, look, this defense is okay. And uh, and they can't really stop the run, and their offense is uh, good on the ground as long as Manny Wilkins has the ball in his hand. Um, and I think I, I just think this is, this is a bad matchup against Washington. I think that all the strengths go with it. But what did you think about the San Diego State game? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I mean Rocky Long, who is the inventor of this defense that Arizona State is now running, knowing how to break it down pretty well, isn't terribly surprising i guess i I mean i really wish i would have thought of that when i did the pick last week um (laughs) i gave you a chance rob (laughs) i know and i but i talked myself into like oh man if our sega white side can have a huge game like how big of a game can Nikhil harry have against san diego state which is a fair um it almost worked nearly but uh i think arizona state is, is still good i just i'm not i'm not entirely sure where they're going to sort of settle into yet. I mean, the Michigan State win uh, at this point almost feels like an early version of their win versus Washington last year. Um, so I, I think we still got to see. I don't think that they're. I don't think they're that they're knocking on the door of, um, you know, competing for the Pac-12 South, South title at this point. But they're definitely a team that if you are not paying attention, you know, and you overlook them, they're going to show up and beat you. Um, and that's not something you could say. And I think if you're an Arizona State fan, I mean, if you looked at this non-conference schedule and you thought, you you know, would you take going two and one out of it? Like, you bet. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, you know, uh, yeah, I was kind of poking a little fun and throwing some sticks your way. But I didn't think this ASU team was going to be good at all. And, and they are. Uh, they might, they're not great and they're not yeah. super good, but they are like they can be good. And um, and the model had them a little higher uh, than most people did. And it looks like it's right. So shout out to you. Um, the, the other game though, is uh, Washington 21 at Utah. Utah had seven points, man. Holy goodness. And oh. uh, this was the one I got wrong. I took Utah. I said, uh, beware of the home dog. Uh, but if the home dogs quarterback looks like a, uh, just a giant <laughs> like clown, you know, like slipping on banana peels, uh, you're not going to win a lot of games. Did you have a chance to watch this? I did watch it. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> if, you, if you, I mean, it was, it was fun and it was fun ish in the first half. I will say it was a fun ish game. Um, the second half was just brutal, brutal football. Um, 
I think, I mean, neither team could really establish the run very well. Washington, for some reason, seemed to, though they, they were able to run the ball a bit in the first half, seemed to be totally unable to run the ball in the second half. Um, Utah just looked totally overmatched on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they couldn't run the ball very well with Moss. Um, Huntley, when he wasn't running, was mostly doing bad things with the football. Uh, the receivers were not helping him out significantly. And I know that the U fans have been very, very high on you know the, the wide receiving talent that they have and uh, even some that they have coming in. But uh, they didn't do Huntley many favors in this game either. Uh, the offensive line often struggled to give him uh, significant time, and they definitely could not create push. But Man, if you flip it around, that Washington offense in that second half, holy moly, like Jake Browning looked terrible. Yes, he did. Um, and it's not all on him. That Washington offensive line really struggled. Utah was blitzing all the time. And Washington, I mean, they showed a replay, and it was it was amazing. I mean, the guy just ran right down the middle, and both the center and the guard just decided to double-team this other dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, just let him run straight down the straight down the pipe. Um, Washington, like watching in that second half, Washington totally unable to figure out. And it was, it's not just it's not just Browning. It's not just the offensive line. I mean, the play calling just wasn't there. I mean, I know people say like play calling is the easiest thing to criticize, but if you're just constantly getting blitzed and worried about time, I mean, Washington didn't throw any wide receiver screens or anything to the outside that was quick that could have just gotten the ball out of Browning's hands and maybe try to get him back into a rhythm um, and open up the box a little bit. And they did none of that. It was brutal to watch in that second half. Two things. The first was that play where Browning scrambles back and just oh, just that's his Heisman moment. Oh, it's, it was so. It reminded me of the Jameis Winston kind of play where it was just like, oh, oh man, it's yeah. so bad. This is so. You've bad. You've already lost fifty yards. And- <laughs> <laughs> the second thing was there was a there was a perceived fat guy touchdown. Um, so I'm I'm watching I'm watching two games at the same time, and I see I think it was the Utah. Uh, lineman uh, snags a an interception and runs it back and I I'm, I'm immediately like fat guy touchdown fat guy touchdown and I'm tweeting yeah. and I'm tweeting at people and like turns out that he gets tackled or something at like the five yard line and I was not drinking I mean, it was funny our friends at Freeball and Podcast like how drunk are you right now but I was just so excited uh, so anyway I thought that was kind of fun um, this is a funny matchup right so like. Do we want to address the controversy? Like you fans, I mean, like two Utah players got ejected for targeting. Oh, and rightly so. Good Lord. I mean, and like this isn't – look, again, I like I was not surprised. And we should – and I should have mentioned this. I should have needled the Utah Mad Podcast on this because um, it's like every year. I mean, it happens every – Utah was the um, – they, they hit, I think it was, was it one, Tui Tom? It was, um, who did they just knock out? A, a new Solomon. He was on the ground, helmet to helmet. Seems like yeah. every year, last year, they certainly had like a Corey oh, no, Ballard. Like they were targeting Dawkins. I mean, Dawkins was never the same after that. Like, cause they went and played Dawkins after that Washington game went up to Utah and Dawkins took a ton of shots after he was on the ground. Those two safeties they have, I think it's Ballard. Who's the bigger head case. And we had talked about this on our podcast. Uh, and it just like, you know, when when you have a reputation, like I thought his helmet hit him, by the way. Did, did you see that? Yeah. Well, Blair is the one that got ejected. I mean, but like Utah safety getting ejected for targeting is like dog bites man. Like that is like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. And I should have clarified like that. Certainly, yes. The second one like, was the lineman where um, I thought. It was a little ticky tacky, but. 
you tell those calls aren't going to go your way. Like you've had too much tape submitted to the Pac-12 office by other teams for targeting. Yeah, and and score more than one touchdown. Like like do that, and then maybe you can complain a little bit more. Um, yeah, the, the Utah's offense cost them the game. It was not the—I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the second targeting was a little ticky tacky, but it was not like the refs did not cost Utah the game. Like Utah's offense cost you the game. Like Troy Taylor did not come in with a terrific game plan in that game at all. Yeah, we thought that was such a good hire too, and it just seems like he does not know how to use this. No, well, to be fair, one one more thing. Like, <laughs> because I get so much pushback. Um, Utah's wide receivers have never been good. They've just never been good. And they're still not good. Like, this is, aside from the Oregon transfer, like, th- this is an offense that just does not know how to use wide receivers. And they're not that great. And it is what it is. And I don't, like, I don't think, do they have a chance of winning the Pac-12 South? I, gu- I guess. Everybody sucks in the Pac-12 South. But I mean, their defense is good. I mean, let's yeah. not, like, Washington has a good offense. Um, you defense. know, Utah played them. Uh, I mean, no, Washington still oh, has a good sorry. offense, yeah, yeah. too. Washington, not not Utah. Um, but, I mean, you, you it'd be hard to argue that, like, Utah's in a much, much worse spot than USC at this point. I mean, they have better special teams than the Trojans by a long shot. They also have a very good defense by the looks of it uh, and in the model. Yeah, I mean, the, and they get most everybody at home that they really need to beat. I mean, you'd still have a shot. I mean, I don't think that this, like, I... I mean, and mostly Utah fans, rightly, were not running around blaming the Pac-12 for costing them a game. They were blaming their offense. But um, don't get don't get too down, Utah fans. You still got a shot. Well, let's take a look at this game because, uh, in in theory, Washington should be able to run the ball down Arizona's throat and win this game handily because their their secondary is good. They have a physical yeah. linebacking core. Uh, they I don't think their defensive line is as good as it was last year, but like we've already talked about the loss of Vita Vea, like that, any, any defense loses that player. And it is, I don't trust this ASU team on the road. I don't, I don't trust their defense at all. Um, I want to take the 17 and a half points. I think this is a terrible matchup for ASU, but what am I missing? Uh, not much. I mean, this, um, this Arizona state team, I mean, what could be interesting is, I mean, Michigan state really struggled with, uh, Arizona bringing down their safeties into the box um, and, and really snuffing out Michigan State runs. Uh, if you, if I told you, if I told you that you know Washington would not run the ball, you know, gain 200 yards rushing, like would you, would you trust Jake Browning against the Sun Devil corners? I mean, I probably, I still would. Yeah, I would too. At um, home, especially. Yeah, I mean, I think Washington comes into this game with revenge on their mind for the loss last year. Um, down in uh, Tempe that, I mean, really, you could argue cost them a shot in the Pac-12 title game. And, I mean, then by proxy probably cost them a shot at the playoff. Um, though they would not have been good in the playoff last year. They would have they would have been <laughs> – they would have done better than, like, say, USC did in uh, playing Ohio State. I'll say that. Um, though that wasn't a playoff game either. But I, I like I like Washington – in this game that that feel the the tough thing is, is that feels right about the right amount of points like uh washington right now is a roughly 82 percent favorite with win probability in the model in this game um i that's right about 17 points uh eh, i'll take the huskies i think they bounce back um i'd really like to see them figure out their offensive play calling uh from last year 
Yeah, one thing to keep in mind, too, is that Washington always does poorly when they play the Arizona schools. It's the heat for some reason. I don't know what it is. but um, And they've been like that for, like, years. I mean, it's not just I – mean, it was the Arizona game went into overtime. They lose to ASU. But um, So if you're looking at, oh, well, Washington didn't do well against ASU last year, they just don't play well in Arizona for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give the points and give me Washington. Let's, let's break down a few more games if we can here. Um, Colorado 45, New Hampshire 14. Colorado went up 28 to nothing in like the first half. So whatever. Yeah. I, I think one thing to mention though was uh, a lot of rushing, which, which is what you want to see because that's my biggest question. Clearly Montes can throw the ball. Clearly Chenault right. and company can catch it. Um, 51 carries for 311 yards, 6.1 yards of carry and four touchdowns on the ground. I like this. This is what I want to see. Four fumbles though. Like what the heck man? Like four yeah. fumbles from Colorado, not in the game, four fumbles from Colorado in this game. Um, Still, Trayvon McMillan, uh, 18 yards, 164, 162 yards on the ground, 10 yards of carry and two touchdowns. Um, CU gave up nine tackles for a loss and two sacks and two quarterback hurries. So when you're, you know, if, if you're counting your chickens before they hatch, Colorado fans, you need that offensive line needs to be short up uh, like like yesterday. Um, and uh, Nebraska is not good. Like, let's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the the mighty Troy Trojans went into Lincoln as well. The NASCAR offense, man. Come on. <laughs> so Troy Brown, I think, is the coach. We could have had him, by the way. But you know. I know he was kicked around for the Arizona job. Uh, anything on the anything else on the Colorado game? No, I mean, I, uh, this is, I mean, it's exciting because they were able to run the ball, but, um, you know, enjoy your week off. And uh, I'm excited to see them against uh, UCLA in uh, two weeks, actually, to see Colorado against what, as bad as UCLA has been, um, they might still be a step up from uh, Nebraska or Colorado State. Yeah, and then speaking of weeks off, Cal 45, Idaho State 23. Idaho State should never score 23 points on anybody, by the way. So there's a little bit of a, a warning flag there. Chase Garbers looks like he's entrenched there. I know they bring in McIlwain to change things up and run around and all that stuff, but Garbers is the guy. Um, Ashton Davis had himself a good game in the secondary for Colorado. Shout out to Kate Scott, by the way. Kate, you got to let us know if you're, if you're you know announcing these games so we can throw it out and uh, have everybody <laughs> watch Idaho State uh, get, get whooped up on. Well, one thing here is Patrick Laird, man. What what has happened to him? He is he is not getting it done for some reason on the ground. So I guess there's a lot of tape on him. I don't I don't know. Like what what do you do when you have a guy that had like more than a thousand yards and now he's averaging like forty yards a game? There's something going really wrong. With, I mean, and Cal is actually the most effective rushing offense in the Pac-12 right now. But there's just something quite wrong with this offense right now. Like I, everybody, I think was expecting them to take a little bit more of a step forward than they've done, and um, they did not look great in this game. Okay. Okay. Um, last game, UCLA 14, Fresno State. 38 oh man chip kelly man what you doing down there that's he had him doing jumping jacks and stuff what happened in this game uh fresno state really i mean so do not if you just looked at the the box score um there was a point when it was 16 to 14 fresno state um and it made and that was in the third quarter uh it was really never that i know i'm saying like it was close at one point. It was a two-point game. It was never that close. I mean, he uh, so Fresno State came out and scored two touchdowns, um, and then UCLA got a touchdown. But then at the in the third quarter, they uh, 
Fresno State muffed a punt um, and gave the ball the ball to UCLA basically on their own 17, and UCLA was able to punch in a touchdown. But then uh, Fresno State put the gas back on again and uh, just ran them out of the Rose Bowl. It was uh, it was ugly. I mean, Fresno State, which did not have a great offense last year, had a really good defense. Um, I mean, he had a, their their quarterback had a really good game, 270 yards. Um, this is and Dorian Thompson Robinson. He is the future of UCLA football. He went 10 of 24, uh, and they only ran for 119. Just an ugly, ugly game for UCLA. Yeah, the one thing to mention, and then and then we'll sign off here, is that when we were doing our Pac-12 preview, and shout out to us. I'm going to throw some stones at Wildcat Radio <laughs> over there. Ah, Chip Kelly, whatever. We'll get to take care of. Like, no, no, this UCLA team was not good. The the one thing though that we were wrong also on, at least I was, is like, all right. This team's probably not going to be good, but they're going to get yards and they're going to get rushing yards. And it's going to be one of these four running backs. And like none of the, <laughs> none of the running backs are getting yards. This is crazy. Like in a Chip Kelly offense, they can't get yardage on the ground. I know like Sasso Jombo isn't that good. And all the, all the fun me is okay. Those guys got four carries a piece in this game. I mean, four carries a piece. Casimir Allen, who, you know, as the speedster got six, Martel Irby, who was a one-time Arizona commit, had a three-star, got the most carries in this game of any of the running backs. He got nine carries for 35 yards. That's nuts. That's just crazy to me. Uh, well, uh, good times down there in Westwood. It's going to be a long season. We'll be right there with you. Um, anything else we should mention before we sign off here? Uh, no, I'm actually so excited. Like, actually, I'm so excited that, uh, we're out of week three. I've kicked all the FCS games out of the model. Like, uh, the, you know, the data's headed in the right direction where we can start to trust the sample size as it grows. Like if the football's getting good as we get into the conference play, like this is, this is a good time. I mean, even aside from the fact that, uh, Arizona might be unspeakably bad, like it's fun football. Yeah. And stick around. We have, I, I'm really excited. I thought this interview went very well. You guys nerded out while I basically asked stupid questions, but we broke down <laughs> the Oregon state Stanford game. It's the game of the week. Uh, it's a college game day is going to be there. Um, we we go for about 30 minutes of just like breaking down both, like two of the most in, intriguing teams in the country. So stay tuned right after this. Hey, 12 pack radio listeners. Did you know that all of the advanced college football statistics from Rob's beta rank model are available online? They are. Check out our website, wildcatradioaz.com, and just click on the Pac-12 Wizard tab on the front of the page. Rob has all of his numbers and projections for every Pac-12 team and for every college football team, for that matter. Will your team suck this year? Read up on the advanced statistics from BetaRank at wildcatradioaz.com to find out. All right, 12-pack radio rolls along. I am very excited about this. Obviously, the game of the week, it's coming to your city. It is the uh, the game day, college game day uh, football will be at Eugene when Eugene hosts Stanford uh, this coming week. Really great game. Two teams that I think uh, can compete for the Pac-12 North. And we couldn't just talk about this for two minutes. We had to really break this down. And in order to do that, we have Hifla Day from uh, not only the, uh, the Pac-12 Reddit, which we participate heavily on but uh addicted to quack and uh hit the day dude your stuff is really in depth you go through film breakdown um you can even speed up and slow down the film as you go i know you have two different pieces that you have up on that website uh can you just talk a little bit about what you're doing there and uh, we can direct our oregon fans to go there and just our pac-12 fans because i feel like oregon's going to have a significant bearing on what happens in this conference this year 
Uh, sure, thanks. Um, uh, I write two weekly pieces for Addicted to Quack. One is on Tuesday mornings called Tuesday Morning Quarterback, which uh, reviews the Oregon game that just played a couple days ago. Um, the, that'll be San Jose State going up this Tuesday morning on Addicted to Quack. And uh, on Fridays, I write a series called Duct Tape, which is previewing the opponent for the next day, which will be Stanford. Um, and the series is a... Uh, bunch of film breakdowns and uh, sort of my interpretations. It's intended for an audience of people who know a little bit about football, but who aren't coaches. I'm sort of aiming for the middle brow market. Um, and I think it's a pretty educational series. Yeah, in particular, it was very helpful in the fact that Oregon's in this funky place right now where, you know, Willie Taggart leaves, goes to Florida State. They are transitioning to a different offense. Uh, one of the things I really like from your last piece, and, and you've been talking about this for uh, months, not even just weeks, it's just that that shift from the mobile, smaller offensive line to the big guys, like the big uglies that can just yeah. push people around. And it must be fascinating as an Oregon fan. And, and I want to get to you a second, but I want to bring in Rob real fast. Rob's still on the podcast. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm here. How are you doing? <laughs> Not bad, man. So, Rob, let's bring you in real fast because I think the most fascinating thing, and Hithliday is really going to break this down, and that's the the transition to the offense, and we'll go into uh, what it means for this matchup against Stanford. But what are your general impressions, Rob, of Oregon? Not a ton of highbrow talent yet. Um, we'll really see what this team is moving forward. There's got to be some sort of information in this small sample size. Yeah, I think what what we've seen is uh, is. Well, I mean, the best way to put it is it's it's a small sample size against very bad competition, and Oregon just hasn't blown them away uh, the way that you would expect. Um, so you you have a lot. I have a lot of questions about this Oregon team coming into the Stanford game. Um, I mean, Justin Herbert has a lot of uh, a lot of pro scouts salivating about him. Um, you know, going into uh, even perhaps leaving early for the NFL draft, but. His completion percentage against the two FBS teams he's faced hasn't been great. Um, now, that sometimes happens when you have teams that are really, you're playing teams that are very overmatched. You tend to go to for a lot of home run balls. Uh, that can lead to a lot of drop balls and incompletions. But um, I don't know that we've, Oregon really hasn't had to flex its muscles yet. Uh, and it hasn't been tested in the way that you can, you can definitely say Stanford has been especially their offense has been tested against um, Rocky Long's defense. And then uh, Clancy Pendergast, who's got a pretty good defense at USC. So this Oregon team comes in with um, a lot more question marks. And what is it going to look like under Marcus Arroyo and this new pistol offense? Um, I think that they've been, uh, they've been a little more balanced than a lot of pack of pack 12 teams have been. Um, they've been able to effectively run the ball, which you can't say about a lot of pack 12 teams right now. Uh but again, like you always have to have a grain of salt with that is like, man, they they did not blow the doors off San Jose State. Um, I mean, they didn't even beat them as bad as Washington State did. And they went out and I mean, had a good game against Bowling Green, but not a great game. And I mean, Maryland, who then went out and got beat by Temple. Uh, had about the same game against Bowling Green. So Stanford's going to be the one where we say, all right, like, let's put a pin in it. You know, like this will be some very useful data for what Oregon looks like when they're not playing some of the worst teams in the country. So Hifflade, you've had the benefit of watching these games in their entirety and breaking down the film. One of the things that we can get caught in, just there's so many games there, and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. There's 12 games going on, three weeks. We're watching all this stuff. Um, Oregon's been a little bit lower. It's actually one of the teams I'm most 
interested in, but it's been a lower on the priority list just because of the type of talent they've been playing. But the floor is yours. You've seen all of these teams. Uh, when you look at those, when you look at the scores just at face value and not digging in, has uh, are, are you? I guess the best question would be: Are are you okay with the outcome in terms of the scores of what Oregon's been able to do against subpar competition? Uh, well, Rob is not the only one who has a lot of questions about the uh, Oregon team. I, I do, too. Um, and you're right. We simply haven't seen a whole lot. Uh, the short answer to your question is, yeah, I'm basically satisfied. I think they've done what they needed to do um, against lower quality competition. And uh, for one thing, a number of the, you know, there's a lot of backdoor covers involved in the first two weeks. Um, and I think you could argue that San Jose State was as uh, well, although obviously it was nowhere near what the line was. Um, the, the, and there's a litany of excuses that, uh, Oregon fans could make, uh, for these, which I will, uh, attempt to avoid. Um, the, the main thing is the offenses, the offensive change is so radical. Um, I, I think it's you know, deeply underappreciated how radical this change is to, to perhaps the most iconic offense in the PAC 12 of the last decade, um, that, one, I think there's inevitably going to be some growing pains. And two, the way that Oregon wants to score points is very different. Um, I think one thing when you study the Kelly and Helfrich playbook is that, at least for the running game, uh, every play has an element uh, in its design where if each of the guys blocks properly, that play is a touchdown. Every play that Oregon would run was a touchdown play if the, the blocking all went correctly. That's not how this offense works in the uh, in the pistol. Um, they are happy to get two or three yards uh, a play, and if it goes well, get nine or ten yards um, and, and just march down the field in that way. In fact, it's kind of funny. Or- Oregon in 2018 looks a hell of a lot more like Stanford five years ago than Stanford does right now. <laughs> um, the the it, and, and the the upshot of that is that um, there are some elements of the that Oregon's identity, which uh, offensively, which I don't think are ever going to change because they provide um, strategic advantages for which I don't think there is a counter in uh, college level defenses. In particular, uh, spreading it out using uh, open space in the field, and second of all, using uh, some tempo uh, when the situation calls for it. Um, but other aspects uh, require a, a really great offensive line, which. Um, Oregon is in the middle of a transition of right now. They returned three really great zone blockers and they've put on two new um, power blockers, Uh, but they've got more waiting in the wings. And the question is, when are they going to get, you know, start working in? I, at this point, don't think that Oregon is going to complete its transition to the 360 pound power blockers in 2018. And so uh, I think they're going to do that in 2019, maybe 2020. Uh, And so that's, you know, really what the fascinating thing about watching Oregon in 2018 is going to be is I think it's going to be a transition year for the offense, even though transition year is usually term that's reserved for teams that don't do very well. And I think Oregon's record is going to be okay. Well, let's talk about that in the context of the Stanford game. One of the big questions we had about Stanford coming into the season was whether or not their front seven was going to be 
uh, good, <laughs> like yeah. which is so bizarre to say. <laughs> but I mean, that was kind of the case. It looks like they have made a significant step forward on that front uh, seven and the ability to rush the quarterback and cause some havoc there. Uh, Joey Alfieri and, and some of those linebackers are quite good, as are the big guys up front. How is the uh, blocking uh, on both the run game and the pass game for Oregon? And are they going to be able to hold off a pretty aggressive pass rush from Stanford? Um, a, I should say up front, I have no idea because, you know, we haven't seen these guys against anywhere near the level of uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford's defensive line. B, I should say that they, they're very experienced. They look pretty good. They have the bodies for it. Um, uh, well, of course, we can't know for certain, but uh, I think that they will give them a game. Um, and the last thing that I would say simply because I've been doing film study, uh, I haven't had time to break down the um, Stanford-UC uh, Davis game yet, but I watched the uh, Stanford-USC game and the UC Davis game, or excuse me, the San Diego State game uh, as well. And I sort of have questions about how I, I'm still on the fence. I think that Stanford's uh, defensive front seven is pretty good, but I think that US in particular handed them a lot of gifts um, which in particular because I don't think USC's blockers are coached very well and I think that really came out last night yeah. in the Texas game um, like I think they're very talented but it is shocking how often USC's blockers are simply in the totally wrong position and it's easy to look good against that Now I'm not taking anything away from Stanford's defense on that question but I, I guess I would just suggest I think that their defensive line is not as well tested as it may appear I, I I don't think that Stanford's going to be limiting all their conference opponents to three points. That no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that I think Stanford's offense has had some pretty tough tests. I don't think that from what we've seen from USC, who showed up twice and couldn't run the football <laughs> um, versus Stanford and then Texas to help out their freshman quarterback. I think you're right. I don't think the Stanford front, the Stanford front seven has necessarily um, hit, been hit in the mouth yet, but I would also, I mean, you could sort of say that with, with what they were projected in the preseason, they've held fairly steady there. I mean, they were projected to make a big improvement on defense and, you know, the in-season data isn't moving them much off where they were projected, um, which is a big positive for them where they were last year i'm curious about oh yeah go ahead i'm sorry i would just last thing i'll say about stanford's line is that the they are clearly good enough to take advantage when you screw up and that is a valuable skill that most defenses don't have especially not in the pac-12 so uh, you can't say that this is you know automatically conclude oh this line still stinks it Clearly, that's not the case. Um, but I think that Oregon's line is good enough. It's experienced enough. It has the bodies enough that it, you know, as we've been talking about, Oregon is going to get tested here. I think Stanford's going to get tested too. Oh, absolutely. And I have questions about this run game because when you think, obviously, of Oregon, you think of just a litany of, I mean, almost every year, it's just not one, but two running backs. <laughs> you got the, the bell cow and the one that's up and coming, and then it's just rinse and repeat every year. This year, it's kind of like a four headed monster almost. And, and shouts to you for, uh, I remember in our first uh, 12 pack radio, we saw T die, and we're like, oh, Troy dies even getting carries. And of course, it's <laughs> Travis. So thanks for the, the correction on that front. Uh, but you do have a, a number of uh, players that are carrying the ball who are the ones that we should really keep our eye out when we're watching this game uh the primary ones tony brooks james is the returning senior um and he's great if he ever breaks into the open field he's gone um now of course the way that oregon's um blocking scheme is now set up that doesn't happen very often but if he does man look out um the two guys who are sort of 
I would say first and second string in terms of the power backs are uh, CJ Verdell, number 34, and um, uh, Troy Dye's little brother, Travis Dye, number 26. Um, and they're great. They're great power backs. They hit the hole hard. They run for a couple extra yards after contact. They're, you know, what you want in a power back. Then um, there's kind of other guys. Uh, there's Darian Felix, who's a young guy. He's I, I've had some problems with the way that he runs. Uh, Todd Griffin, who's a you know tiny little water bug kind of guy, but uh, again, you know, he hits the open field and, and man, you know, look out. You know, I'm curious about the. Um, I guess I guess the wide receivers are also <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of questions there. No, um, that's what we need to talk about. <laughs> well, let me throw it to you, Rob, because I don't want to filibuster here. I know we for a long time. I mean, the biggest questions I thought about Oregon coming into the season were, uh, okay, what does this offense look like? But it was the secondary and it was the wide receiver. So, Rob, what questions do you have on the on the wide receiving front? Well, I mean, and for the passing game, I think in general, I, I don't know that we've seen that Oregon's had to sort of flex its schematic muscles yet um, in the way that I think Stanford sort of had, not that Stanford doesn't just show up and do, do try to do what Stanford does, but they, they've had to dig in a little, particularly in that San Diego State game to win the game. Um, I'm interested to see, and, and have you seen anything yet, um, because the the prior system was mostly like tempo speed and running the football and forcing you to um, really keep an eye on what was going on in the backfield tended to break wider, you know, Oregon's wide receivers more open. Um, last year, I would not say that I would not say that Willie Taggart's offense functioned super well passing the ball, but we also maybe didn't get a great glimpse of it with Herbert out for half the year. But this year they're going to, they're, they're not necessarily going to be, you know, a dominant running team, you know, in the way that maybe they were in the past. Does Oregon have the wide receivers? Do they have the scheme to get receivers open? Can the can the I mean, you don't have to be the great, you know, the fastest guy in the world. The route can get you open if you run it crisply. Um, does Arroyo sort of have the sort of bag of tricks of of the route tree that? Because um, Chip Kelly did not run a very sophisticated route tree. Uh, to, to get receivers open because Stanford does have a very good secondary, um, you know, that they, they really did frustrate USC quite well in that game. A, I agree that uh, Stanford is a very good secondary. Uh, I uh, also agree that Willie Taggart is not a great play caller. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I mean, I wrote a 13,000 word, half hour worth of video for part series over the summer, trying to tell anybody who'd listen that um, Florida state bought a lemon. Um, uh, but that's let's not talk about that uh <laughs> well you gotta get willie taggart some crap i mean i will say that I, he he put together a lights out staff that mostly stayed uh for you guys rob, I, mean, I swear to god rob like if you i will never <laughs> shut up if you get me talking about this but it's all it's in the as rear a play mirror, caller though like, as a play caller though i agree <laughs> it's uh okay one thing which is the primary thing that i criticized i'm the primary thing that I criticized Willie Taggart for was extraordinarily stubborn. Like he came up with a plan and when it was clear that plan wasn't working, he had no plan B and he refused to tailor his playbook for in some senses at all, in other senses, just way too late uh, to uh, fit the personnel that he actually had. And I will say that that is by far the most encouraging thing I've seen in just three weeks of Marcus Arroyo's play calling and his uh, ability to design a game plan is that it is much more reactive and able to um, take 
into account the strengths and weaknesses of the personnel that he has. So that is encouraging. When it comes to the wide receiver's talent, uh, the problem is that they don't have any. Um, they're... There is a philosophical element that is retained from the Kelly Helfrich days, which is that you schematically get guys open and you throw to wide open receivers. Um, that element is definitely present, and I see a ton of it. I uh, just finished charting this morning the offense against San Jose State, and it's excellent um, when he's doing the, I don't know a good term for this, but basically you you get the defense to go to where the receiver isn't and then you look stupid because the guy is running with three, you know 30 yards of open space around him. Um, yeah. There's tons of that uh, and I have no doubt that you're going to see that sort of thing come open. Now, there are, uh, there are however, many situations that you find yourself in where, okay, receivers, you just need to get yourself open. You need to do this yourself. It comes down to you need to be better than the defensive back is, and I have literally never seen the Oregon def- uh, uh, receivers, who some of whom have been on the team for a couple of years now, I've never seen them do it. Um, and it's a lot of Oregon fans have been complaining about the drops. Um, it's not actually, when you break down the film, it's not actually that big of a deal. The thing that's much more concerning is the level of miscommunication with the uh, receivers just running wrong routes like just herbert will throw a ball and it looks like a drop or, or that he's airballed or whatever it's like no he was the receiver was supposed to keep going and or he was supposed to come back on a hitch route and he you know what the heck is and, and it's very distressing um i have to say as an oregon fan um <laughs> and so if, you know if it comes down to that if stanford is uh, smart enough to uh, see through the deception and they're just keeping man coverage on the guys no it's going to be a long day for oregon well, well it's, uh, sorry, Brian, I have two, I have two follow-ups I want to hit on that one. <laughs> um, one is that, so is, is Oregon running option routes where they are not like the, like, so this is one of the things that's very different from Rich Rodriguez being gone in Arizona. Mazzoni, in the Mazzoni offense, if you're checking into an option route, the quarterback and receiver actually make eye contact and agree that, you know, they both see the same thing with the safety and they check into the route before the ball is snapped. Now, in the Rich Rodriguez option route, you would often see the quarterback sail the ball. The, the you know the receiver, the quarterback and the receiver worked on the same page. Um, you know, and the option route wasn't verbally, you know, not or non-verbally communicated before the snap. It was just you both had to read the defense the same way live, <laughs> and that's your option route. Um, is is Oregon running option routes? I mean, it's no, we, I didn't find this out till later that no. we were doing this. I just thought we were, we ran dumb routes. Uh, no, the the route tree is pretty clear. I mean, obviously they disguise their signals, and I'm uh, hardly a cryptographer who can you know figure out what the signals are coming in. But as near as I can tell, the entire uh, play is telegraphed in, and there's okay. not there's no yeah there is no option route or there are but uh, but like it's Herbert throwing to an open receiver and whether yeah. that receiver is open or not is based on the scheme of the play that has been uh, phoned in. So um, no, that that's not the issue. I mean, it almost makes me think like, I, I'm sure you've read the article about Wazoo a couple of years ago, having the wrong color wristbands on it. almost <laughs> That was a great article. Something, <laughs> something that stupid. Like I'm seeing that many things like, what are you doing? Um, and, go ahead. Uh, no, and I wanted to follow up one more quick one um, because you guys picked up somebody late who was actually kind of a 
like a prototypical, like big, almost air raid type wide receiver, Brian Addison, who did not academically qualify at UCLA. Um, and they've not been bringing him along slowly, even though, I mean, they're bringing him on a little slowly, but compared to some of the guys that you have on there, and I mean, Arizona has a schooler on our team. Uh, his parents are wonderful, by the way, if you ever get to meet him, but they, um, He's he's a much more of a great, terrific blocker in good hands. Addison's more of a straight up like I'm going to get open. I have some athleticism, you know, uh, type wideout. And uh, I've been I've been actually a little surprised at how quickly Oregon's been moving him along, considering he came in so late to camp. Uh, I'm surprised at your surprise. Oregon's so thin at wide receiver, and so <laughs> okay. needs that kind of athlete. That uh, yeah, that didn't surprise me at all. The and then the other uh, guy that they brought in, uh, Tabari Hines. Um, the slot receiver from Wake Forest, uh, who's gotten some touches. Uh, he's recovering from a, a leg surgery of some sort, so he may be a little slow in coming on. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, and then uh, as to Brendan Schooler, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure he does have wonderful parents. Who, they were interviewed very awkwardly by Lewis Johnson last year. Um, the... The, he got injured in the San Jose State game and actually it really showed. Um, the, Brennan Schooler is the kind of receiver who doesn't come in with a great stat line, doesn't show up in the stats very well, but he is a key part of that offense because he's a phenomenal blocker. He's a great, um, he, he probably has the best hands on the team in terms of like, you know, you need somebody to run an eight yard stick route when it's third and seven, like he's your man. Um, yeah. you know, he, he was taken out early in the game. We don't have injury status uh, at this point on him. Um, it's, you know that, that that would actually be you know a bigger loss than I think most people uh, appreciate. Yeah, he sealed that. I saw that play where he got hurt. He sealed that edge really well, but yeah. he 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 seemed to take all the force of that block. <laughs> Which is funny because he's been throwing blocks that hard for his entire. He's a converted safety of all things. Um, he's been throwing blocks that hard his entire career at Oregon. Um, and in fact, in 2017, one of my criticisms of him was, was he was city hitting so hard and so eagerly that he was throwing a lot of illegal blocks. And I was actually <laughs> one of the big problems for Oregon's big penalty problems was like Brendan, could you take like five percent off of that man? <laughs> Um, uh, but uh, he's actually d- done a really great job in the first three games. He, you know, he's only throwing legal blocks now. It's uh, really encouraging to see. And so when he went down, I was like, man, that's that's karma. You're supposed to be better than that. <laughs> well, let's shift over to a uh, major strength of Oregon, which is your defense, your defensive coordinator. Uh, I thought that the retention of Jim Levitt was one of the best hires uh, west of the Mississippi this year. Just uh, just the way that he was able to bottle up Arizona's offense with Khalil Tate. I think he kind of wrote the playbook for how to do that for all other coaches. So um, anybody that wants to add to his major salary, please, <laughs> by all means, <laughs> assistant coaches, throw him his way. Um, but this front seven of Oregon is quite good. And it's really amazing because when you look back a few years ago and you just go, uh, this was like when the year Jim Levitt came, uh, to Oregon, I was looking at their talent, just going, I don't know if there's really anybody to be that jacked up about this year. And it ended up being the exact opposite and the explosion of Jalen Jelks and obviously die. And I, that front seven is so good. So what type of scheme is he? I know it depends on what team they're playing, but in general, what is he running that makes uh, Oregon so good and made them jump so quick from really the seller of the, the country in terms of defensive productivity uh, to like the top 25? That jump was so big and there's got to be something to it. Uh, a couple things. Uh, I will try to be concise. Um, 
number one, it, he's running a 3-4. It's a little different, uh, is very different from Nick Aliotti's 3-4 um, because it's probably better understood as a 5-2. Uh, he got, he's got got uh, three defensive linemen with their fists in the dirt and then two outside linebackers who almost always play on the line. And schematically, the, um, the, the purpose of it is to get flush everything out to the edges uh, where uh, the outside linebackers are going to clean up. And one guy you didn't mention, but who deserves a lot more plays, praises Justin Hollins, yeah. um, who yeah. was phenomenal. Um, and then the other guy, uh, Lamar Winston, who's very underappreciated. The way schematically uh, it's designed is that Winston uh, is the one who comes up and then you run into Justin Hollins' arms. So Winston needs a lot of credit for just being a super cerebral player. Then the two inside linebackers who play back from the line, one's Troy Dye. He's phenomenal. Everybody should know him. The other uh, is an interesting guy, Kalana Pello, who's a former walk-on. I think he's going to get eclipsed later in the year by a new guy, Adrian Jackson, who's a converted safety like Troy Dye is. Um, those guys' uh, job is to monitor they're not uh, they're not really blitzers they don't uh, immediately hit the line like a lot of teams that i watch instead they sort of monitor things and when they see the uh, you know the opening they uh, unload the chamber um the, it is more than anything else uh, dependent on uh guys reading and reacting uh correctly uh they're they are stronger than they look. It's a little weird because you look at the guys and you're like, that guy can't possibly be that strong. And then he does something that's like that. Am I watching a comic book movie? Like humans can't do that. Um, but really where it comes from is that they all know what their jobs are and they're executing at a, a very high level mentally. Well, I'm interested to see because I think one of, I mean, and Levitt, I think like, again, He's not had to. He's not had to go deep into his playbook to uh, beat Bowling Green and uh, San Jose State, but he's going to have to come up with something to slow down Stanford. I think uh, San Diego State, and there's a really terrific article by Ian Boyd um, on the Aztec safety that everyone's been copying. Um, and I think you know San Diego State really brought the safety down, brought uh, the Aztec safety down into the box, as well as bringing their other two safeties much closer to the line of scrimmage to slow down Bryce Love. Um, and of course, eventually Stanford was able to go to Orsega Whiteside over the top. But this is going to be something where I think that they're, you know, I don't know that you can just get away with with the way Stanford's going to line up with in a two tight end set, even with just a five two and that many men in the box. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Oregon's. If do you think Oregon's secondary can do maybe what really USC and San Diego State were not able to do, which is you know make and Costello did not have a great game in that UC Davis game. Um, make make Costello make you know poor decisions, get pressure on him, um, as well as our Sega Whiteside looks considerably better than any Stanford receiver I've seen maybe ever. <laughs> uh, I. Uh, disagree with you on one point. I agree with you on an, another point. Uh, I disagree with you that Oregon's going to have a difficult time stopping uh, Stanford's run game. I actually think the Stanford's run game stinks. Uh, and I don't think it is uh, due to the media narrative that emerged after the San Diego State game in which, um, oh, it was just because they you know had the box loaded. Stanford couldn't run against a light box either. Um, and this is one of the things that's going to go up in my Friday article uh, on Addicted to Quack is they can't run against a light box. They can't run against a heavy box. Um, they can't run. Uh, they have exactly four impressive runs in th their entire season, and they're all bouncing outside and getting the wide receivers to block for them. Um, now, that said, uh, Oregon is going to lose to Stanford. Uh, 
put put your bets down now because Oregon cannot cover a- any of Stanford's receivers. Uh, it was the Achilles heel of Oregon's defense all of 2017. Uh, it's gotten worse in 2018 because they lost their best uh, cornerback to graduation, Arian Springs. Uh, and uh, even Arian Springs could not do anything about uh, GGR Sega Whiteside in uh, 2017. Um, and, and they've only gotten better at that. Now, Stanford is an extraordinarily boring offense. They have exactly one passing formation. It's nuts. It's a four verts for formation. They look like uh, Mike Leach is coaching them. Um, but inevitably, one of those guys will be in a position to box out your DB, uh, and that's it. Game over. Um, and it's going to be that over and over and over. There's only one person that can cause Oregon to beat uh, Stanford on Saturday, and that's uh, Davida Pritchard, who I don't think is a great play caller um, and probably has his run pass balance really screwed up. Um, but that said, there's just there's no stopping that passing attack uh, unless USC had the best chance of doing it and they blew it. I'm just curious about the secondary in general. Like, let's take aside the fact that, you know, every wide receiver for Stanford is like six foot 12. <laughs> like yeah. They're all just so tall. But, uh, you know, looking into the future, when you go into other Pac-12 games where you don't have the wide receiving cores that are that tall, what are the biggest weaknesses of the secondary? Because there was some uh, pedigree coming in at the corner position, and it seemed like the safeties might have been able to shore up. So what are, what's the biggest disconnection there? Uh, I like the safeties actually quite a bit. Um, uh, Ugo Amadi is the uh, the old man of the defense. Um, he's had sort of a frustrating career at Oregon, but I like him a lot. And he's moved over from corner to safety, and I think it's a natural position for him. Um, and then they're just so deep at the other safety position that they're uh, playing pretty well. Um, the problem is the corners. Uh, uh, last year, it was, as I mentioned, Arian Springs, um, who, it, I, you know, I spent a lot of Saturdays uh, over the last couple of years yelling at my television set that Arian Springs was screwing up. And then I went and did film review of the Oregon's 2017 season and like, wait, this guy's a lockdown corner. Um, he's playing the NFL now and, and he's going to be really good. Uh, the problem is Thomas Graham, uh, who was a true freshman last year. And he's actually... He's actually a pretty good cornerback for about eight of the nine routes uh, that uh, defenses would, or excuse me, offenses would uh, throw against him. Uh, the problem is he just can't defend the sideline go route at all. He, he just can't do it. Um, he couldn't as a true freshman. I've already seen against a couple of teams, um, you know, from lower levels of competition in the Pac-12, Burnham um, in 2018, and uh, and now Aaron Springs is gone. He's replaced with Diamador Lenore, another true sophomore who is basically the same problem. Um, and I don't, I'm not looking forward to watching those guys go up against Stanford's receivers on Saturday. Not at all. I mean, I, I don't want to come down too hard on them. They're they're great, and I think as juniors and seniors, they can be uh, phenomenal corners, but they can't handle the one thing that Stanford does unstoppably, uh, and it's going to be a long day. But I, I mean, I guess I, I do you think that there, because Levitt, if, there, if, he, if he is able to sit and with, you know, seven in the box, I mean, is he be able going to be going to be able to get pressure on Costello? with rushing for, or is he going to have to consider, you know, consistently send a blitzer, uh, in order to get pressure? Um, cause I think, I mean, Oregon has enough talent and Stanford, you know, doesn't work, does not run the most sophisticated. I mean, they just, they do a couple things. They just do them really well. Usually, um, you know, is Oregon going to be able to, you know, get any kind of pressure without sending, you know, six consistently? Uh, I believe so. Um, okay. and, 
I also kind of believe that that doesn't matter because Stanford doesn't really take advantage of the middle of the field. Um, like I, Oregon could send seven on every snap uh, for a, for for as, as much as I've been able to discern uh, Stanford's uh, passing attack. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if they have to send five or six or seven in order to get pressure. They have to do what they have to do in order to get pressure because they can't rely on the back end of the defense to do it. Okay. Okay. So the, I just looked up the line, and Stanford is a one point, either dog or favorite, but basically it's a one point line. And Hithliday, it looks like you are uh, pretty bullish on Stanford's chances. Uh, what, what do you think the final score is? I think it'll be a higher scoring game than people are, are expecting. Um, I, I think the game will probably look like um, amusingly an inversion of the 2012-2013 Oregon-Stanford games uh, where Oregon is trying to they, they will try to jump out to an early lead and then sit on it with a power run game and Stanford is going to try to come back by uh, throwing unstoppable 80-yard touchdown passes and uh, I believe that they're going to do I think it'll be a tight game by the half but at the end it'll be something like oh let's say uh oregon 30 stanford 45 all right there you have it well hifla thanks for coming on definitely we're going to tweet out and we'll put it on our, our website wildcat radio az.com uh, the the preview that you have of the stanford oregon game because they're quite good and if if you are an oregon fan a stanford fan or just a fan of the pac-12 in general these are excellent they're very very well done so we'll and we'll we'll plug it a couple times so um if you miss it the first time everyone definitely check in and we will we'll have it up there um and also i just want to i love the pac-12 reddit and i know you're a moderator there if I wasn't a big Reddit person and then just got into it this year and, and I'm more of a creeper. So I'll like just read everything and I don't post a ton of stuff, but, um, but all of the content on there and the conversations, particularly the smack talk, like it's not mean spirited. Oh, yeah. It's just funny. Like it's, it's quite good. Um, I think the first con, uh, the first comment on there was, uh, the PAC 12 bot took the first two weeks off. Uh, maybe you should have Arizona schedule or something like it was great. It was, there's a fun <laughs> thing. I appreciated that. Um, so everyone check that out. And, um, and again, we will be continuing to be posting these podcasts every monday every monday morning uh we'll keep going and uh, we want to continue to bring in just experts in pac-12 football so that we can continue to get better and smarter and and uh, share that with everyone else so thank you so much for your time and i uh, hope we stay in touch i appreciate it thanks for having me <laughs> right. thanks